come with me. We're going on a fantastic cruise. Pick your destination with news tips and reviews. But here is an item you might not have thought of. All of the things under the water. Nature surrounds us with elegant features. You can't go on a cruise and not see the creatures. So let's make some magic. Let's get ecstatic. Instantly classic. Maybe romantic. The wildlife around you. Cinematic on your fantastic cruise. Bon Beanie, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Fantastic Cruising. I'm Matt. And I'm Kimbra. And today we've got a really cool special guest, actually somebody that Kimber and I know pretty well because we, well, we work with her. We do. And we're going to be talking to her about cruising in Antarctica. Yeah, that's right. Not Alaska. Oh, no. Antarctica. So keep listening for that at the very end. But first, we want to cover some emails. We have a few emails to go over. Let's start with uh, Josh B., So Josh had a comment or I guess an email about the episode from a couple episodes ago. Yes. Uh, To bring or not to bring. That is the question. Wait, that's not. That was the wrong accent. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So Josh says about corkage fees. There's a point of confusion that I had until recently that I bet others have as well. I thought the corkage fee was literally just to open your wine of bottle. Wine. Ooh. Open your wine bottle for you. Therefore, I brought a corkscrew. She's been drinking some wine. (laughs) Actually, she hasn't. No, I haven't. (laughs) Therefore, I brought a corkscrew with me and thought I was in the clear. Needless to say, I was confused when our server was going to charge us a corkage fee for drinking our wine in the MDR. But I have my own corkscrew for corkage purposes, I thought. Apparently, I'm reading this like a storybook. I like it. (laughs) We should illustrate it. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. Um, we even brought our own cups to the MDR the next night, thinking that using their wine glasses was part of the issue. Again, we were told we would be charged the corkage fee. I later learned the reality, the name corkage fee, is misleading. The fee is for drinking your own wine in the MDR. It has nothing to do with whether you uncork your own wine or not, or whether you use the MDR wine glasses or not. To avoid a corkage fee, you have to drink the wine in your own stateroom. That's the key. So uh, here's here's what I think would be funny. What if you brought like a bottle of wine that unscrewed and then they charge you a corkage fee on it? I mean, I, I don't know. I I don't know why that'd be funny. But anyway, yeah. So that that is a very good and valid point. And we talked about corkage fees, bringing wine on board. And really, you're not paying for the service of having your wine uncooked. So I do that in a French accent. You are not paying for having the service of your wine uncorked. Was that French? I don't know. Anyway, uh, but you're actually paying to to drink that wine for the privilege of drinking your own wine in in the uh, main dining room or at a bar or wherever you are. Is, unless you're like in your stateroom, and then you can you know you can do what you want. I guess you don't have to pay for it. So that is. What he wanted to point out, and, and he also, like, we had a little bit of, of conversation after that, and he was like, imagine, like, a BYOB with beer if they charged you, like, a like a corkage fee for beer. Like, people wouldn't stand for it. They'd be, like, flipping tables and stuff. So, but that's the reality of the corkage fee. Yeah, but I think, I think if you open your wine in your room and pour it into a glass and then take it with you to the MDR, you're free and clear. You're, like, 
getting around the rules then. It's like you just can't have the bottle in there. It's something about right. having that bottle that they don't like. Well, the bottle is is probably how they know that you have the wine. Like if, if somebody just brings a cup of random liquid in there, they're not going to be like, oh, can we inspect your liquid to see if there is any wine in there? But they're going to know if you've got a bottle, obviously. You're bringing the wine. You, you know, you got the grape juice in there. So, um, yeah, you could, you could do that. I mean, if you're really worried about it and you know, you, you don't care about how you drink your wine, I guess you could put in like a water bottle. <laughs> I, I may or may that, not have you? done that. I was going to say you, I, I said that in jest and then, <laughs> and then I realized who was sitting by me. So yeah. So, you know, you gotta make your own way, I guess. However, <laughs> however you need to do it, whatever you need to do. Okay. All right, we also got an email from Scott, and Scott is Professor Travel, so check him out. He's got a YouTube channel and a podcast, and he said he wanted to respond to a couple of items from previous podcasts, and thanks us all for the great work. Thank you, Scott. He said when he wrote last, he was talking about intrusive selling. I remember that, and he said he was specifically speaking of the Celebrity Infinity when he was going out of Rome to Venice. It was a 10-day and the carnival inspiration from Long Beach round trip to Catalina and Mexico. So, so it was two different cruise lines. Right. Two cruise lines, two cruises. Obviously, <laughs> be funny if it was one one cruise, two cruise lines. Would that even happen? I don't know. Maybe a rescue mission. But yeah, so <laughs> I don't know. We, You know, nobody has, has sent us any emails about these sort of experiences. That doesn't mean that they haven't happened. So if you have had this experience like Scott is talking about, where you've had really intrusive selling uh, let us know, fantasticcruising at gmail.com. I've experienced this a little bit on Carnival, just for a minute in the theater, but uh, I'm curious if this is a thing. I hope it's not. I hope that, uh, you know, you just had bad luck, Scott, and hopefully... Wow, you're it, wishing bad luck well, on no, our I listeners? Mean, look, it already happened. So, I, I well, I'm look, by saying bad luck, I mean that way when he, when he sails in the future, it won't happen to him again. So by wishing him having had bad luck it's wishing him good luck in the future that's does that make sense and that's how he turns it around to not make him sound like a jerk <laughs> you know what i'm talking about come on and then he said from your likes and dislikes if there were no shore excursions it would limit my desire to cruise I do go to see new countries, so that is critical for me. Therefore, cruises like repositioning and transatlantic do not really hold a lot of strong pull for me. The exception is one I saw advertised on Cunard from New York Fashion Week where they would do various runways on board and you get to meet people in the industry. It just seems like a unique experience. So, yeah, I mean, that's... I, I would totally agree with you as far as that goes. Obviously, I mean, I guess that's kind of what I said. You know, the it's really, it's more about the ports for me. I, I mean, I enjoy my ship time. I do. But the main draw for me is going to these ports. But if it was, if there was something really cool, like, I mean, just a group cruise dynamic, if there was like some sort of learn how to do some kind of art theme or maybe some kind of reptile <laughs> themed cruise. I don't know. Uh, Red Dwarf themed cruise. Anybody know what Red Dwarf is? Anyway, uh, yeah, I would be all over that as well. I'd be on board with that. Oh. See what I did there? I'd be on board with that. Yeah. So thank you, Scott, for your email. Thank you, Josh, for your email. And then we got one so from So I'm from sorry. Andrew. Yeah. I'm not done. Oh, so oh, So sorry. Scott ends it saying, 
but he's a fin addict. He did say that. So I think I think our listeners should be fanatics. You think they should be fanatics? Yeah. Isn't that fun? It is fun. I don't know. I, I don't I don't feel like I I have the right to uh cast that name on them. I mean he cast that on himself he and that, that is pretty that's cool. That's true. I mean he didn't he didn't say everybody was. He said he was. But maybe others are and they just didn't know it yet. Maybe. Maybe if do you like that name, let us know. Fantastic cruising at gmail.com or, you know, say something on the Facebook group, uh, something like that. Let us know. Do you want to be fanatics? Or are you like, we don't need a nickname. We don't even really like you that much. Just <laughs> if you say that, <laughs> just break it to us gently. But let us know what you think. And then we got one from our good friend, Andrew. And uh, do you want to read this one, Kimbra? Sure. So Andrew is, I love emails from Andrew because they're always a book. And <laughs> This he one actually, was a short story, though. This one was a short story. He actually, he um, subject line said a short-ish email. <laughs> <laughs> so he knows that they're long, which is funny. So he says, we always bring our two bottles of wine on board as it's cheap and relaxing to have a glass in the room before dinner or on deck watching the sea go by. We usually end up buying the wine in Florida to keep our bags in wait for the flight. That's, good. Uh, That's a good tip. Yes, on the subject of cruise checked bags... I we, just want to say I always buy my wine in Florida. I also buy my wine in Florida. Unless I did go to visit family back in Indiana one time and I got a bottle and I think I took that bottle. That's true. If I was not in Florida, I'd probably buy my wine out of Florida. Yeah. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. Anyways, back to Andrew. Um, on the subject of cruise checked bags, we definitely go over the 50 pound limit, but not by too much since we rearranged the heavy items in our flight carry-on into the checked bag, which we have to keep under 40 to 50 pounds because the they weigh them. And we never had an issue. This gives us room for the wine and makes the cruise carry-on lighter since we have to haul them around until the room is ready. Okay, that makes sense. And yeah, I, I know it said that with the rules, but I've never seen a scale. But I don't know. I, I, don't, I just don't know how seriously I believe that that rule is enforced at all. If, if anybody's been stopped at the cruise terminal because their luggage was too heavy, definitely let us know. Fantasticcruising at gmail.com. Have you noticed I'm pushing that a little bit today? We like your emails. We really do. So interact. Reach out. Let us know what you think, what you, what you feel, and um, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. Anyway, uh, so there's more. There's, there's more, more from Andrew. So the second act of the short story. In Richard the Third. Today is the episode of accents from Matt. Yes, and wine. <laughs> Bring forth the wine. And he hasn't had any yet. Maybe we should. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe. In addition to having wine in our room, nobody has ever given us grief walking around with one. Um. So the, he's saying basically he's kind of confirming what you were saying. You can walk around with your wine. You just. Just don't, you know, walk around with the bottle. Even if you have the paper bag, they're going to know something's up. Don't do the paper bag thing. Yeah. Um, and he says, we've always found out that, at least on Carnival and possibly others, if you buy a bottle of wine in the dining room because it's cheaper than getting it by the glass, if there's extra, you can either have them recork it and store it in the dining room or you can take the bottle with you. I wonder if they charge a recorking fee. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not, right? I hope not. I, I hope don't not. think so. I don't think so. It says, we've considered getting the Carnival's 
cruise the vineyards on a longer cruise, which gets three or five bottles for discounted price. That's a pretty good deal. Yeah. Depending on what the discounted price is. Right, right. <laughs> from what I've read, they give you vouchers you can use to redeem from the MDR or other places. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, Mark and Kelly from the Traveling Duo, who are on episode two of this podcast and have a YouTube channel and a Facebook group. Check them out. They have done the wine packages on, I think, Royal Caribbean. I don't know if they've ever done it on. They might have done it on Carnival, too. I know they've done it on Royal Caribbean. And uh, they've been pretty happy about it. And I know that you can, like, get the wine recork. They really don't charge you a recorking fee. Uh, so if you're a wine drinker or just somebody that likes to wine, um, that may be the route to go. You might save yourself some money. And it was kind of cool, too, because, you know, it just added a little bit of, of fanciness to their dinners. Kind of neat. He also likes the idea of a song or sound bet- before the cruise creature, which... I am highly in favor of and still trying to convince Matt. <laughs> you don't have to convince me. I just don't have any musical skills or talent, so I can't. But we did the Moray song. That Oh, that's true. That's true. I don't know if you would call that skills and talent, but we did do the Moray People song. listened, and I didn't get a lot of negative feedback. We, or any or feedback any. about it at all, which uh, was kind of strange. No news that's is... Amore. That's No news amore. is good news, right? That was your, yes. Well, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. What should we do? Should we do like cruise creature, cruise creature, cruise na 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 creature, cruise creature. Ah, ah. Uh, I am so sorry. We need to think about this a little bit more. <laughs> All right, and then finally we got an email from Adam, and Adam says, "Hello, I am a first-time cruiser. We are taking a cruise for our honeymoon in June. Congratulations, uh, Adam and Miss." Adam, Mrs. Adam, or whoever you may be, do you have any tips for the first-time cruisers? Also, does Carnival do anything special for people on their honeymoon? Ooh. Yeah. So, okay. First off, Adam, I would say definitely if you haven't listened to the last episode with uh, Anna and Steven. No. Nope. No. Different people. Sorry. With, <laughs> why did I say with Anna and Steven? <laughs> with Dave with and Dave Brandy. With Dave and Brandy, <laughs> who got married on a cruise. Anna and Steven are listening. They're going, what? What What? What are they talking about? Uh, yes. With Dave and Brandy, then, um, yeah, we talked all about getting married on a cruise. And we did ask them about the whole honeymoon thing. Now, they got married on the ship. And they didn't do a lot for them afterwards. They did get some special towel animal type situations. And I think they got, um, I think they got like some chocolate covered strawberries and stuff. But nothing over the top. Right? So, um I don't know. Uh, Kimber, do you know if there's any, like, have you heard about anything about honeymooning on a cruise? Are, are there packages you can get? I mean, I guess there are that aren't necessarily honeymoon related. I, I don't know. What do you, what do you think? I think, um, I want to say when I've looked like on carnival stuff where you can have them like decorate your room and stuff, I feel like they, I know they have like birthday things. I feel right. like I've seen something for like weddings or honeymoons or something, but without actually looking again, which I'm not currently doing, I can't be positive on that. Well, and, and part of it too is that whatever cruise line and ship you're going on, what I would do is it's not something they're probably going to do a whole lot of automatically. They're not going to go, oh, honeymooners. I mean, they might, they might. But if you really want to make it special, then you probably want to contact that cruise line ahead of time and see what kind of packages there are and, and see if you can add a little something, something to your uh, to your honeymoon cruise. Yeah. 
And and as far as first time cruisers, um, any tips for first time cruisers? Yes, I have tips, lots and lots of tips. But the problem is, it's such a broad thing. It's really hard for us to cover all of them. I would say my tip, my main tip would be uh, do what you're doing. Listen to podcasts. There's there's a lot of good podcasts out there besides this one. Listen to all the podcasts. Watch some vlogs. That is really beneficial. I think watching vlogs and really seeing what's happening through the whole cruise as well as you know, just hearing about it, um, the combination of that, and then join a cruising community like the fantastic cruising community. If you're not already a member there and there's, there's other great cruising communities like Dave and Brandy have one and, uh, Anna and Steven have one. And those are all on Facebook. Matt. They are. Uh, thank you. Yes, they are all on Facebook. So find those. Um, you can find ours by just searching fantastic cruising community on Facebook. We also put a link in the show notes. If you go back, a couple episodes, you'll see links to different guests that have been on here. And most of them have communities. The great thing is there's so many people on there and so much information, so much knowledge that if you have specific questions, they can, somebody's going to answer them for you. So if you have any specific questions, you can let us know too. send us another email and we will do our best to answer those. But otherwise I would recommend those other sources because uh, I can just, I can't even tell you how much I've learned from the cruising community itself and other podcasts and stuff. Speaking of the fantastic cruising community, we did a poll there late this week and the poll was which cruise line have you sailed the most? We had like 140 people that put their, their information down on that. Some of the answers were not surprising. Some were surprising. So of course, Carnival had the the most with 85 of those 140 people that have, have sailed Carnival more than any other cruise line. And those of you that are doing math with me right now, that's 61%. Okay, calculator. <laughs> Royal Caribbean came in second. Probably no surprise there with 29 votes. You got a percentage for that? I do. I've got a 21% on that one. And these are all rounding up percents just because I wanted to get a little crazy. Okay. All right. And then we have Norwegian coming in third with 14 votes. So that was, uh, you know, like okay, a little less than half of the uh, Royal Caribbean people. That's a solid 10%. Solid 10. There you go. And then Princess with five votes. You got a percentage for that one. We're getting too small. Uh, 3.5. If you round up a four, we're getting pretty small now. We're getting pretty dinky. And then we got, we had three votes for Disney. We had two votes for Holland America. Which kind of surprised me that we would get any votes for Holland America. I thought of all the cruise lines, like I thought Holland America would be the one that didn't get any. Well, actually, I thought Cunard wouldn't even show up on here, but we got one for Cunard. So there you go. Cunard had one and Celebrity had one. And uh, and nobody said MSC. No MSC people out there. I mean, now that doesn't mean they haven't sailed it. It's just they haven't sailed it the most. So... I don't know. I thought I thought that was pretty interesting. I mean, if you would have said bet on which one you think people have sailed the most, I I would have said Carnival. What would you have said, Carnival? Oh yeah, I hear a lot about Carnival for sure. And, and obviously, I think the this podcast. I mean, we try not to be totally Carnival centric, but we are probably most of our experience is Carnival because both of us have sailed more Carnival than than any other. Line How do you know my pick would have been Carnival? What? What do you mean? I was going to say which one I picked. 
Well, which How one did you, you pick? I, I thought you I said picked, that. Yeah, I picked Carnival. Oh, jeez. <laughs> anyway, um, so we get a lot of Carnival people here, and that's cool. Um, and we're happy to have everybody else as well. And we want to experience those other cruise lines more and, and get more experience on those. So uh, excited that we had that many Royal Caribbean people. I, I know the next most about Royal Caribbean and then Norwegian and uh, and then Holland America, actually. So I've, I don't know why I was so surprised by Holland America, because that's a cruise line I've been on. And I haven't been on <laughs> Princess or Disney or Canard or Celebrity. So, yeah. Anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting, that poll. Uh, tell us, if you didn't participate in that poll, what cruise line have you sailed the most on? Was it one of those? Was it something different? Let us know. Fantastic Cruising at gmail.com or go join the fantastic cruising community and find that poll. It's still up. You can still participate in it. Okay. So now it's time for what you've all been waiting for. Dun, dun, dun. The what? cruise creature. No, not the cruise creature. Oh. What Matt told everyone was going to happen later in this episode. It is happening. What? Is, I didn't tell. I just told you that. I didn't tell. Everybody. No, you, you said it at the beginning. You said we were going to interview. Oh, that, okay. <laughs> Never mind. That's not what I was thinking of. What Matthew? No, I. Anyway, let's just get on with it. So, we have a coworker. Um, her name is Rachel, and she just recently went to Antarctica for a couple weeks, which is super like cool. You do. What? Like you do. Yeah, because you just... It is super cool. (laughs) See what you did there? (laughs) Anyways, so we thought it'd be really cool to have her come on. really cool. I'm sorry. And talk to us a little bit about um, that trip, since it's not technically like a cruise ship cruise, but... Kind of is. Kind of is. Like a mini cruise. She Well, and she defines it's an expedition, which is different than a cruise. And she kind of defines that in this interview, which is pretty exciting. Would I don't know. Uh, let's. Well, why are we wasting time? Let's just get into this interview and find out what Rachel had to say. Yeah. Hi, Rachel. How are you today? I am doing pretty well. How are you? I'm good. So you recently went on a trip to Antarctica, right? I did, yeah. Okay, so obviously this isn't specifically a cruise, but you were definitely on a ship to get there, right? Yes, I was on a boat. Well, a ship. The captain made it very clear that the difference between a boat and a ship is that a ship has a captain and a boat has a frustrated husband. (laughs) (laughs) That's different. The one that I normally hear is a boat fits on a ship, but I think I like I think I like his better. (laughs) He was a nice guy. Okay, so can you tell us a little bit about the ship? Yeah, so it was uh, it was called the MS Expedition. It is the polar vessel by uh, G Adventures. That was the company I went through. So this ship goes uh, both to the North and to the South Pole on expeditions. And the difference between an expedition and a cruise really is that there was no set schedule. So unlike a cruise where you know where you're going to be stopping and sort of have an idea of what you're going to be doing there, every single day was a surprise. So there was two weeks of just, I have no idea what we're going to do today, no idea if we're going to make sure, no idea if uh, the waves are going to be crazy. It was uh, day-by-day adventuring. That's pretty cool. Now, did they give you like a general list of things like these are the possible things we're going to do, but we don't know when or we don't know if we're going to get to all of them? Or was it just like we're going to Antarctica and that's all you need to know? 
It was a little bit of both. Uh, so every evening we would have a recap where we would discuss what we did during the day and talk about what we hoped to do tomorrow. But it was always very stressed that it was what we hoped to do tomorrow because the fun thing about being that far south is that uh, internet uh, transmissions didn't really exist. If we wanted to get weather or satellite updates, we had to wait until a space station floated overhead. So oftentimes our weather guides were uh, two to three days out of date. So it was, if it's still what it was three days ago, <laughs> we will be going to this island. And then the next morning, it who knows? <laughs> okay, that's really interesting. How many, like, how many people could go on this ship? How many, like, did you have a like a cruise stateroom sort of like thing. Like how did how did your accommodations kind of work? Yeah, so I traveled with my mom, um, but there were a lot of solo travelers. Uh, they don't really upcharge for solo travelers, which was pretty cool. Uh, so you could uh, get rooms of four people, rooms of three people, rooms for two people, or you could get a suite. My mom and I, we just had a double room um, sort of towards the back of the boat. Uh, that was very comfortable. It was perfect for us. It had two beds, closet, bathroom. Now you've been on like regular cruise ships before or have you ever done that yeah i have done regular cruising i've been to alaska and uh on a bahamas sort of island hopping okay so would you say that the stateroom that you were in or the cabin that you were in do they call it a stateroom or just a cabin i think they just called it a cabin cabin would you say that it was like around the same size as, as the cruise ship rooms you've been on or was it a little bigger a little smaller I felt like it was about the same size. Mind you, um, on at least one of those cruises, I traveled with my whole family. So it was my mom, my dad, my sister, and myself. So we had a larger room that time to reflect uh, the increased number of people. That would be good, right? That's a lot of people otherwise. Yes. <laughs> it's like, I'm okay with, with cabins on cruise ships as long as there's uh, you know a minimal amount of people that I can get along with and cohabitate with. But when you start raising that number, it starts to get a little stressful, I'm sure. Yeah, well, it also uh, was interesting because the sun never set. So the entire two weeks that I was in Antarctica, I never saw stars. I never saw the moon. The sun would just uh, sink towards the horizon and toddle a little bit eastwards and then pop back up again. So the amount of time that I actually needed to spend in my stateroom was... Uh, very minimal. I hardly slept at all that trip. <laughs> You're just like, sun's out? I'm not sleeping. Did you say your stateroom or your cabin had windows in it, though? Yes. So mine did. Um, the below deck groups, the ones of three and four people, those had portholes that had to be closed during uh, certain parts simply because the wave action was so powerful that it could have popped those open. Uh -huh. um, so they, they had theirs shut, especially when we were crossing the Drake Passage but um, we were high enough up that we had a window and it had fantastic blackout curtains. Yeah. I was going to say that might be one way or one time when you want the interior room without windows, but if they had blackout curtains, then you, so when you went to your cabin, were you able to sleep then? You just, you knew it was, or you, did you just know that the sun was out and there was so much cool stuff to see? You just couldn't do it. I, I just couldn't sleep. You know, being being in Antarctica, it was like, I can sleep later. I can sleep when I get home. <laughs> but, you know, how often am I going to get to be down here? And because the light was always out, the visibility was fantastic. So you could be whale watching and bird watching late into the night. That's really cool. Did um, how many people were were on this ship? Like how many could accommodate? I believe the official number was 136 people. Okay, so significantly smaller than like a regular cruise ship. Yeah, and those that was just the guests. I think there was a crew of about 50 or so. Okay. That's a pretty good ratio of crew to, to guests. And I know from talking to you 
about this, it seemed like there was more kind of socialization between the the crew and the and the guests. Is that accurate? Like, yeah, it was it was amazing. So you could sort of divide them up into three main groups. So there was the hotel staff, as they phrased themselves, um, and they were the ones who would take care of the rooms, and they were the ones who would prepare and uh, serve the food. Then you had your navigational staff, they would stay up in the bridge, and then you had uh, your expedition leaders or chief expedition officers. There were a whole bunch of CEOs walking around the ship, (laughs) Um, and all of them were very interactive with people. It's the first time I've been on a, a tourism ship that they let you go up to the bridge and hang out. I would get up very, very early in the morning and I'd come up maybe two hours before breakfast and they set out a little chair for me and they taught me how to cite icebergs and how to call those out um, correctly. But yeah, the the hotel staff were amazing. They would remember your individual likes and dislikes for coffee. Everybody knew your name by the third day. It was so friendly and welcoming. That's That's, cool. Yeah, that is really cool. So you mentioned food a couple times. That's yeah. our next question. Tell me about the food. Oh, my God. It was so good. And it, it wasn't – so most of the meals, breakfast and lunch, were buffet style. And this was fancy food. Like, this was not, you know, chicken fingers and hamburgers. They had lamb, and they had all these um, ethnic foods. So they had a lot of Filipino food, Thai food, Chinese food, um, a lot of European-influenced dishes. Um, and then for the dinners, they would have just – crazy good stuff. So steak, lamb, um, lobster, that sort of thing. So it was mostly buffet style. So there wasn't like like the MDR or something like that. Yeah. More often than not, it was buffet style. One time okay. we actually had a barbecue outside. So we had a barbecue huh. below the Antarctic Circle. It was a beautiful day. They roasted lamb and steak and pork and whatever and served it uh, on the on the back of the ship. <laughs> That's cool. I mean, why not have a barbecue outside on the deck in Antarctica? It's just the, like the coldest place in the on the planet, but but you were there. It was, I mean, what, what what was the weather like when you were there? Was it really really cold? Or I know you talked about parkas. Yeah, so I went during uh, what is technically the beginning of the Antarctic summer, more or less. So I was there um, mid December to early January. Um, the the height and sort of the end of the Antarctic summer is back is towards March. Um, so it was it was a little bit chilly. But the thing is, is that. Ice, wind, and waves dictate so much of what you do when you're down there that it's less about charting a path and following it and more about zigzagging up and down the coast chasing the good weather. Um, So there were times we were at the farthest south we went was I think 68 degrees Um, and then we turned around to head back north and then we hit bad weather so we went back down south and then we turned around again and went back north once the weather was clear. So how how long was this cruise? What was the duration? So it was two weeks. Okay, that's a that's a good long cruise. It was a long time. It was you forgot the rest of the world existed. About how many stops did you guys make during that two weeks? So we did our best to make at least two stops a day. There were four at sea days, um, two of those belonging to the actual passage of the Beagle Channel and the Drake's Passage. So just dogs swimming through beagles? And- <laughs> <laughs> I named after Darwin's beagle. So. Oh, okay. That, that makes sense. Cool. Yeah. Which is named after a dog, I think. Didn't, I, I don't know. I never I thought I actually don't know where I would assume where that he Charles named his ship after, after Well, he didn't name the ship. He was just on it. But yeah. I'll have to look that up. I don't know. 
know. That's a good question. <laughs> what What was the so obviously you're American, uh, but then since this cruise or this expedition left out of Argentina, uh, were most of the guests American, or was it a kind of an international crew, or not crew but guests, or how how did that? work out? Well, it was fairly international, both in terms of the crew and in terms of the guests. So we had people from all over Europe, uh, Asia, the Americas, South America, the staff. um, There were a lot of Filipino staff, um, a lot of people from various European countries. um, um, One of the CEOs, that's the chief expedition officer that I worked with uh, or spoke to a lot was from South Africa. So you had people from all over the place. A really good mix, it sounds like. It was fantastic. Ah. That's one of the things I enjoy about cruising is usually in most ships I go on, unfortunately, it's only the staff, but they're international. But it's really cool to like meet people and and when you can interact with them from different cultures and different parts of the world. And then, of course, at the port stops. But it would be even cooler if the people you're cruising with were also an international crowd and just to just really broaden your horizons and stuff like that. Was was English the main language spoken on the ship then, or did they accommodate for a lot of different languages? So English was definitely the uh, most common language, but there was uh, there were quite a few German speakers, uh, Spanish or Portuguese speaking people, and at least one lady who I never heard her speak anything but French. Okay, cool. Um, so obviously on a, um, you know, regular cruise ship, there's all kinds of entertainment, like constantly. So people have stuff to do. What kind of entertainment, if any, were on this ship? So it was always dependent on what we were going to do on the outside. So they tried to stress getting out and being out and about on the ship or on expeditions as often as the weather would permit. But we would have usually at least one lecture a day. So all of the expedition officers were uh, usually either very experienced tour guides. Some of them were graduate students. A lot of them were uh, professors who were taking the semester off. And so they would teach us about research that was going on in Antarctica or particular aspects of the history or biology that they found uh, particularly fascinating. And then uh, in the evenings, we would usually have a movie. Sometimes it was a documentary uh, like Blue Planet. In fact, uh, the head expedition officer was uh, featured in one of the Blue Planet episodes. We were all very excited to see him there. Um, and one night we had a talent show, and that was very fun. Now, a talent show that, that you guys participated in, or what, just the crew, or what, oh, how did that work? So it, it was us. Um, individual teams got together and uh, put on their talent show, and I think it was one of those really great talent shows where nobody's talented or if you are talented you're not doing your show on what you're actually skilled in so it was very funny now when you keep you keep mentioning expeditions like when you get to places where you get off of the the ship what are some of the sorts of things that you did when you were on these expeditions So I had a bit of a unique experience compared to most of the guests because there were 20 spaces available for kayaking. And once, if you booked early enough, you could book the kayaking um, edition. And that meant that any time that you landed somewhere where kayaking was possible, you were given the option to kayak. And if you did choose to kayak, you would not get to explore the island. So I kayaked more than I ever really set foot on... um, the Antarctic continent or the associated islands. But um, so I I was sea kayaking most of the time, but there was also options to hike. We stopped by several heritage sites where you could see the remains of old bases. Uh, One time we stopped at Port Lockroy, which is the southernmost 
functioning post office and museum. Also <laughs> a Gen 2 penguin colony. Nice. Oh, that's cool. So you're getting off and you're, you're kayaking, you're doing a little bit of hiking, but on, on a regular cruise, there's, I mean, I like, that's the kind of stuff I like to do. But for a lot of people, it's going shopping or going to restaurants or going to um, historical sites. You said bases, but really, this is really fixed on the nature aspect of Antarctica. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, there's really very few signs of people. It was, in some ways, really beautiful. You know, I don't think I... I maybe saw another ship three times throughout the journey. There were very few active settlements of people simply because um, of the Antarctic Treaty and, of course, just because it's so far away and really cold. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to live there. I would love to visit, but I I don't want to live there. Just seems too cold for me. It's so right now when we're recording this, let's see, let me look at my watch. It's it's around almost two o'clock. It's 62 in Florida and that's too cold. That's too cold. I moved to Florida to get out of that stuff. (laughs) I think the warmest day was about 45. Oh, no, thank you. But but here's the payoff. So you are obviously an animal person. Tell us about some of your highlights of the different wildlife that you saw. Like what you you mentioned the the penguins. Like what what are some of the things the creatures that you saw? Honestly, I wouldn't even know where to begin. It was fantastic. Um, I, in addition, I'm uh, very fond of marine mammals. Uh, that's my research area that I'm very passionate about, specifically seals. So there are uh, several species of Antarctic seals: um, the crab eater, the Weddell, the leopard, and the Ross. Uh, I saw three of the four. Ross seals are super unstudied, and they live more on the western area of Antarctica, so I wasn't going to encounter them anyway. But I did see a baby leopard seal, which uh, is the whole reason I came to Antarctica was to see a (laughs) leopard seal. Apparently the best time to see them is in March when all the penguins are fledging because then the leopard seals are hunting uh, en masse. Um, But I saw so many crab eater seals, Waddell seals. There were humpback whales everywhere. Like I am super passionate about whales. I think they're fantastic, but it got to the point where I was almost bored of them because you were (laughs) seeing so many of them all the time. Uh, There were Antarctic minke whales. Uh, The first time I saw a wandering albatross, that is the largest flying bird. It's got the longest wingspan. Oh my gosh, that was a toddler. That was, that was like a seven, that was even a seven-year-old with wings. That was a very big bird. And just to watch it circling was amazing. Just fantastic wildlife. Very cool. Very cool. So what would you say was the the highlight, the the coolest thing, the neatest thing that you experienced on this trip? I really feel like every time I'm asked that question, I'm going to come up with a different answer. <laughs> so um, I would say that definitely one of the most memorable experiences I had is I also signed up to camp out overnight on the on the glacier so we stopped by a small island in a place called paradise bay where there was a small landlocked uh, glacier that was covering a little rocky island and we set up camp there so we took our shovels and we padded down some snow we set up a tent and we spent the night or you know what passes as the night there and uh i didn't sleep at all that night because uh First off, it was too bright, but also just being able to be up at two in the morning, the sun is still hanging out on the horizon. Uh, at one point, a penguin walked through camp. It was very fun. It was a little Gen 2, sort of stumbled up to camp, looked around at all the tents, very offended, and then uh, <laughs> waddled away. That seems like a penguin thing to be offended. Like, like penguins just seem like they're like, 
what are you doing here in my, I just speak like that because they picture them wearing tuxedos. What are you doing in my cab, my space here? <laughs> yeah, the penguins were really great. There, there was a running joke on the ship that I didn't like penguins because I'm very passionate about seals. And so I would sometimes think I saw a seal and it would just be a penguin. I would say, oh, it's just a penguin. And everyone would be like, oh, Rachel, you hate penguins. I'd be like, no, penguins are fine. Uh, but there were, there were three species of penguins. Well, four. So the Magellanic penguin was in the Beagle Channel, and then Gentoo, Adelie, and Chinstrap were in Antarctica proper. And they, they were really a joy to watch. They had no fear. They were not smart birds. I would not call them <laughs> smart. They would uh, they would take these highways, penguin highways are what they're called, up and down uh, to their nests, to the sea, and back again. And sometimes two penguins would come face to face on the highway and they would stop and they would just stare at each other and they might you know honk or make some angry gestures at each other and then they would just forget what direction they were heading in turn around and go back the way they came stop and turn <laughs> around like I feel that way walking into a room but sometimes but I think penguins spend their whole lives like that <laughs> and they were not graceful they were eating snow they were falling down all the time so I have a question so I saw a picture of this camp out area that you did with what you called like the bathroom yes it was funny tell me about it so they uh had little camping toilets because you know part of the antarctic treaty is you can't you can't leave things behind on antarctica and <laughs> you know arguably if we were to go to the bathroom on the ice we would be leaving some very interesting foreign nutrients behind so we had we had little camping toilets and the staff built us uh sort of stalls, not quite full igloos, but stalls out of ice. Um, and let me tell you, that was the best bathroom view I've had in my life. You just, <laughs> you sat there, you were underneath a rocky outcropping, um, and there was just a huge glacier with all the blue glowing ice and, you know, penguins were swimming in the water. There were some Arctic, uh, Antarctic terns that were nesting nearby and they would fly in front of you and kind of yell at you like, hey, what are you doing here? And I'd be like, please leave me alone. I just need to go to the bathroom. But it was great. So not a crappy view is what you're saying. <laughs> oh, Matt. <laughs> that joke stinks. joke stinks. So, Rachel, every week on this podcast, we do something called the cruise creature, mm-hmm. which is basically where we talk about a cruise creature. This is obviously some of the animals you saw are not things that you'd see around the Caribbean, but maybe Alaska. I don't know if any of them are. They're Um, cold. The terns, some of those bird species will actually uh, fly all around the globe. A lot of the seabirds that you see, you can find various places. But I think since we have Rachel on here, because normally I do the cruise creature, but in this case, Rachel knows way more about these animals than I do. And so I think that we, we should make an exception, let her choose whatever whatever creature she wants, because I'm anxious to hear about the cruise creature. You're gonna you're gonna give up the cruise creature title this week? I am. Okay. I am gladly. Rachel, would you like to do the cruise creature? I would love to do the cruise creature. Okay, so what have you picked and tell us about it? So because I am who I am, I picked a seal. Uh, if you know me, you would be surprised that I did not pick the leopard seal this time. I actually picked a very close relative. It is called the crab eater seal. That's uh, Lobodon carcinophaga. And my favorite fact about them, or at least the funniest fact about them, is that they don't actually eat crabs. They subsist entirely of krill. Nobody really knows how they got the name crab eater seal. They don't eat crabs. As far as I could tell, there aren't actually any crabs that live that far down south. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But they're really cool. They can get up to six feet long. 
Um, and 80% of them have significant scarring on their body from uh, leopard seal attacks. But um, they're very neat. If you ever look at their skull, their teeth are absolutely phenomenal. So most seals are going to have um, relatively normal carnivore dentition. There's going to be some changes to the molars because um, they lose a certain set of cusps in order to eat and swallow underwater. But uh, crab eater seals have these amazing wiggly looking uh, interlocking teeth. Uh, I heard someone call them, you know, like fir tree teeth. They look like huh. weird trees that mesh together and they form a sieve. So these guys are actually 100% subsisting off of krill, more or less, um, which can be a little bit shocking because um, that krill diet does make their feces a terrifying bloody red um, and so they often appear to have blood smeared all around their muzzles from when they've been eating krill and also huge bloody stains on the ice also just krill they're fine yeah krill in krill out mm-hmm. <laughs> sounds krilling in uh, fact uh one of the cool things about crab eater seals is they are believed to be the most common seal in antarctica somewhere between seven and 75 million individuals oh wow uh, we don't actually know how many there are because it's so hard to study uh, animals that live that far south and in the ice fields but it's believed that their population actually underwent a huge increase when whaling caused the large baleen whales to decrease okay because they had more food source Mm -hmm. access to food yeah so only the blue whale the humpback whale and the minke whale are really going to be big krill eaters down there but um, whaling, of course, decimated those populations. And so the crab eater seal seems to have boomed in response. They sort of benefited from that. Now, you said they get six feet long. Mm-hmm. Is that, and, yep. they, and yet they have scars from leopard seals. Yeah. I know the leopard seal is not the cruise creature, but how big is a leopard seal? Well, leopard seals are my light, my love, my reason for being. (laughs) Their skull is the size of a horse skull. These are animals that can uh, easily get 12 feet long or longer. They are the third largest uh, seal species in the world after the northern and the southern elephant seals. And some leopard seal individuals can be larger uh, than elephant seal individuals. Females are much larger than males. Um, so they're a little bit better studied because they, uh, they're more easily tracked, but they have uh, set territories of about five, uh, five miles. And what's funny is that they will, they'll forage nonstop and then they'll haul out on ice and actually just pass out for days at a time. <laughs> they'll just be asleep and the ice is moving and the ice is traveling and they'll wake up in a completely different place And so they'll actually (laughs) swim back uh, to a sort of halfway point between where they started and where they ended up. And then they'll make a new territory and they're fiercely uh, territorial about that. Both males and females produce this uh, haunting, warbling, singing sound underwater to warn off other individuals. Now, you said they're your favorites. I know you saw just a baby one on this. I've, I've, I've seen videos, I think, of people scuba diving with leopard seals. Is, is that something that happens with any frequency? And are there any cases where leopard seals are, are a dangerous animal to people? Or are they just like, eh, they don't bother us? Yeah, so it's a little bit tricky. So on one hand, um, leopard seals do not appear to go out and try to attack people. However, there have been leopard seal related fatalities um, 
in fact, a scuba diver was tugged down and drowned by one, although it's unsure if that was actually uh, intended aggression or if it was just a very curious, very large predator. Um, they are they do have some site fidelity, so that territory, they'll come back to the same place year after year, even though they might um, move around at the time. So typically, if you are scuba diving in the Antarctic, uh, leopard seals are going to be in the same area around the same times of the year every year. So some people do swim with them. They're very curious on land. They are very, very alert, very shy and likely to dive into the water. But once they're down there, they're very inquisitive. Um, our chief expedition officer was talking about how he was diving and he felt um, sort of like someone had uh, touched his head, like there was a hand on either side of his head. And so he thought <laughs> that it was his dive buddy, you know, trying to turn his head to look another way. And so he turned around and he just saw the spotted silver expanse <laughs> of a big female leopard seal's chest. She was actually holding his head in her mouth. Um, she let go and she didn't squeeze, but there, there was a moment there where he was, uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, well, you sure. know, the, the wildlife there is phenomenal. If, I have to say the most interesting thing about being in Antarctica was they were very um, they were very clear on all the different ways that you could die horribly. Um, they made it very clear that this uh, continent could and would kill you, um, and they gave they gave you ways to avoid dying, but. You know, they would talk about people who went off the trail and fell down crevasses 25 feet into the water and their bodies were broken before they could drown or freeze to death. You know, uh, the Antarctic fur seals um, get very aggressive during the breeding season. They were telling a story about a guy who was hiking and he was keeping his eye on one seal and he didn't see another fur seal underneath a rock and it ripped his entire calf muscle out of his leg. Um, You know, so there's a lot goes on in Antarctica and... uh, You know, the nearest hospital is in Ushuaia, which is at least a 24-hour boat ride away. So it's, you know, it's very important. On our muster station day, um, I was putting on my life jacket and I missed a strap that I didn't see. And uh, the lady who checked me over put her hand on my shoulder, looked me dead in the eye and told me that I had died because (laughs) uh, that strap, because I didn't tighten it, my chest was going to constrict when I inhaled. I would have a hard time breathing because the water was so cold. I was going to slip right out of my life jacket and sink to the bottom of the ocean floor. Oh. So they were <laughs> they were very serious. They were never sensationalist about it, but they were definite they definitely made sure we were all conscious of the fact that we were not in a civilized place at all. You're not on carnival here. You're you're not in the Caribbean. You're you, like the mustard drill needs to really be taken seriously, and there's a lot of yes rules yeah. that you need to follow for real people. <laughs> yes, they are. They're very serious about that. So one last question, then back to the leopard seal, just because I'm curious. Yeah. Because because people always ask me these kinds of questions about my favorite animals. Given the chance, would you dive with a leopard seal? Oh, absolutely. I figured that. I would it. do anything. <laughs> just just seeing that little baby, and it was only four feet long, which is really cute and tiny um (laughs) gosh i 
I honestly started crying. I was tearing up. I was so excited to see it. So if I ever go back, I want to come back in March when I can see the big adults uh, tearing penguins apart because they'll <laughs> they'll grab them by the neck and they'll shake until the head comes off and then they'll, then they'll shake a little bit more so that the skin flips inside out and then they don't have to eat the feathers. So I love leopard seals so much. Thank you for that description. You're very welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I hear they taste like chicken. Penguins taste like Everything tastes like chicken, Maybe Matt. I think everything tastes like penguin. Okay. You've never had penguin. I would not know, know would what you eat penguin, penguin tastes like. I would definitely eat penguin. I, for, okay, so for a long time, I had this reputation that I hated penguins. I don't actually hate penguins, but it started from when I was a kid, and it's a long story. But I won't get into it now. Penguins are mean animals. I love them right very there. much, but they are not smart, and they can be very mean. <laughs> And they, yeah, so, so, yeah, so I'm... They also smell. They do smell. They poop every 15 minutes. Oh, oh, yeah, Yeah. they're funny. And it's projectile. It can be, yeah. yeah. They just poop all over each other, too. (laughs) Well, listen, Rachel, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your expedition experiences and uh, all of your animal knowledge. Really cool. Thank you. Yeah, my absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Thanks, Rachel. Well, that was really cool. Again, thank you, Rachel, for participating and telling us all about your expedition to Antarctica. Pretty cool. Pretty. I, I know I'm just going to keep using that pun. It was so cool. It was very, very cool. Like It, it was, was totally, so cool. It was totally almost cool. cold. It was like frozen, man. Like, oh, let it go. Let, yeah, I don't. it's as good as I get. Anyway, here, here's the thing. Uh, listening to all that, would you go to Antarctica? So I am I am really mixed. When she first said she was going to Antarctica, I was like, you're crazy. Absolutely not. However, however, after the interview, while the, the picture, well, first of all, the pictures that she posted kind of changed my mind a little bit. But it's pretty, right? Yeah, it's gorgeous. But listening to her talk about all of the wildlife and nature and just how beautiful it was, like... I'm tempted. I yeah. just don't like the cold. No, like, yeah. If, if there was a way... It's not cool that it's cool. If if there was a way to put me in that environment without actually putting me in the environment... It's called virtual reality. Yeah, but that's... Well, maybe. <laughs> I would do that. It's not the same. It's, not, it's really not... The, virtual reality is close, but it's not the same as smelling the penguin feces and stuff in the air the cold night i don't where am i going with this it wouldn't be the same it, wind on your face the salt taste in your mouth i mean it's just not gonna quite capture the experience but i would go to antarctica even though i'm more of a tropical animal guy i'm just i like animals in general i think it's just really beautiful down there and there's some really cool creatures that you could see and I mean, I would love to somehow get in the water and scuba dive because the the film I always see from diving in those kind of regions is just remarkable. I, I think I would get in the water with a leopard seal. I don't know. I mean, I'm not, it's not a crocodile, okay? So maybe I wouldn't be willing to risk as much, but I, I don't know. I, I think it'd be worth it just to be with those really cool 12, what'd she say, 12 foot long? 12 foot, yeah. Wow. Maybe just a, maybe just a crab eating seal that, I, you know what I'd do? I'd go to Antarctica and I would bring some really good crab legs and I would find one of these crab eating seals and I would have a conversation with it and I would try and explain to it that, look, you've already got the name. You might as well 
you might as well eat the crab. So I would introduce crab to the crab eating seal okay. and see what they thought about it. Okay, that. Matt, how is this conversation going to go? Let's let's act this out. Let's see. You you be you and I'll be the seal. Um Hello there, crab eating seal. Or 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 I you know, you've only had krill and Krill's not crab, and your name is Crab, so I think you should try these delicious crab legs with garlic butter. <laughs> See? I think that went well. I would interpret that as, oh, yes, that's delicious. Let me have some more. Right? And and then it eats it, and... And then dies because it <laughs> will never, never eat krill again. It, it, it has such a demand <laughs> for uh, for crab. That's probably... <laughs> Yeah, it's probably a terrible idea. Okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm not actually going to do that. Uh, I just think it's funny that the crab-eating seal does not eat crabs. It is really funny. Yeah. I wonder if they're crabby. Maybe that's it. Oh. Maybe they eat crabby krill. Do krill get crabby? How would you know? I I don't know. Huh. Maybe they just eat. And I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know where I was going with that. I don't know. I think we've krilled this conversation, though, okay. for sure. So let's move on to our eight things that we are looking forward to on our upcoming Brilliance of the Sea cruise. Now, we're recording this on Friday night, and uh, this part of it, on Friday night. And uh, that means right now we have about 21 days. That's three weeks, people. See, I can do math. Three weeks until we are on a Royal Caribbean ship. We are so close. So close. So, so close. So our number four, which means four on the fourth week, we will be on the cruise. So like you said, three weeks till four weeks on. Yes. Yeah. So our number four is vlogging. Vlogging. Could you elaborate, please? Um, using a camera and recording I know, literally knows everything what you do. Vlogging is like, what, what, what do you mean? Like, why, why are you looking forward to vlogging on this cruise? I have never vlogged before on a cruise. So I'm looking forward to learning <laughs> learning all about that. Like, obviously, we go out and we go to, you know, parks and theme parks and all that kind of stuff in Florida. And I'm I'm catching on to how we do that. But like vlogging our entire adventure on a cruise just sounds really interesting to me. So I'm excited to do that, get better at that, and share it with everyone else. Well, me too. And and here's the thing. Uh, I know that our YouTube channel, Fantastic Studios, has been a little a little dry. It's been a little bit of a drought for videos as of late, but we're trying to fix that, and we've made some strides, and we have been filming stuff. It's just that a lot of it is practice. Some of it we just haven't had a chance to edit yet. And so uh, this, though, I feel like is different. Like I've done the cruise vlogging more than other vlogging. And and I, I kind of know a little bit more what I'm doing there. I'm still learning a lot uh, vlogging, but uh, I know a little bit more of what I'm doing. So uh, I'm excited to get back on a ship, to get back in front of and behind a camera, especially with the, the new stuff we've got. Uh, I got for Christmas, I got a GoPro Hero 8. I also got the media mod. I got the light mod. Um, I'm, I'm getting the display mod. It's just not out yet. I don't think it's going to make it before the cruise, unfortunately. But that's okay. It 
you can still use everything without it. And I just, in fact, we just did a video, like an unboxing and kind of review test video on the media mod and the light mod. So check that out. Fantastic studios over on YouTube. That was, I don't know if you heard Reno, but he's shaking his head in approval, I assume. And, um, yeah, so this is, this will be a good opportunity to carry that further and get back in the vlogging game. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. Um, cause of course I got you the, the new GoPro. You did. Thank you. And, <laughs> and I decided to get myself one too, because I know that before when you cruised, you were like, you were the vlogging dude. I was the vlog. There's a lot of vlogging. Well, right. But like when you were on your cruise, you were the vlogging dude, yes. like whatever group you were with, unless you were like on a big group cruise and everybody was yes. vlogging dudes. But <laughs> like when you went with your family or some friends or like a smaller group, you were the vlogging dude. True. And I want... Guilty. I want to be the vlogging dudette. Okay. With you. Yeah, we're going to be... Um, the vlogging duo. I, I would say that, but that sounds like the traveling duo. I know. Duo. No copyright infringement no, here. No, I'm Check sorry. Check out the traveling duo over They're on great. YouTube. But uh, yeah, so that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited. I, I like the idea of the dueling cameras. And uh, that's we've already gotten some cool footage by having both cameras going live and getting different angles and stuff like that. So uh, what I'm really excited about is the underwater stuff that we're going to get because we're going to do a lot of underwater things and having the two GoPros active at the same time. It's going to be really neat. I mean, I've gotten a little bit of that video action with, with Mark from the Traveling Duo, with my good friend Charlie, who's gone scuba diving and snorkeling with me. But this will be even more of that, I feel like. And um, it's going to be cool. For sure. Yeah. And I also just got a new thing called a switchblade. It's not a knife, but it's a, it's actually a special thing you put on the GoPro that's got a lens on it, like a filter lens and then a, a magnifying lens. And I've already filmed an unboxing of that, but I really, I might, I might release the unboxing part, but I'm going to try and get some footage this weekend using it. And uh, that way I can, you know, give people a, a full review of the product, but it's, it's pretty cool. This switchblade from polar pro it is pretty cool where are you going this weekend matt well tomorrow which is saturday which is yesterday if you're listening to this on sunday because time means nothing in the podcast world but uh <laughs> we are going over to coco beach to hang out with some clay Kowskis and some york ragsdales and i think there's going to be some other cool people over there as well that we're going to get to hang out with and then we're going to try and stop by the paro dj meetup on saturday afternoon and see even more cool people and then sunday we're going up to rainbow river so you can go start your scuba diving certification i'm going to be snorkeling while you're doing your dive and stuff woo, woo. yeah i'm almost done i'm excited i'm nervous all the feelings and emotions you'll be are fine. being felt Nah, you'll be fine and emoted emoted <laughs> Yeah, but it's going to be cool. So you're going to go play with your new toys and I'm going to go learn how to dive. All right, Matt, that was a really fun episode, but I think it's time to head for the horizon. Until next time, seize the day. Have a fantastic week, everybody.
Hey, thanks for sticking around after the music has played. Look, this week we want to just give you a preview. This is your reward for sticking around this week. You're getting a little preview of what's to come next week because it's going to be awesome. You want to tell them what it is? We're going back to Indiana. We, what? No, we didn't agree to that. Well, I mean, not not like physically. Oh, I was going to say we're doing another scuba dive next week. We can't get to Indiana and back again. No, we're um we're actually going to have uh one of our community, one of the cruising community, our very own Mary Miller on. She just went on a really awesome cruise, so we thought we'd have her on to talk about it. Yeah, and we actually did that interview already, and let's just say this. It's a good one. So definitely tune in next week. I know it's not a radio thing, but I'm going to say tune in, okay? That's just how I do it. Anyway, tune in, listen in next week for a really fun interview with our very own Mary Miller.